just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Welcome to Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. If you are tuning in or have been tuning in with us, this is our second episode, and we're so glad you came back to listen again. If you haven't guessed already, I'm Kenyatta, and with me is Jack. How are you today, Jack? I'm doing fantastic, Kenyatta. I'm doing fantastic, but I hate to I hate to be jerky, but this was actually our third episode we're recording. Oh my God, I've slept since then. Okay, no, it's not jerky at all. It's old age. <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're both closer to an age that starts with five than we are two. Correct. So, so it, yes, it I happens. stand corrected. Third episode. <laughs> and if you're still here after this one, yay. Okay. So. Yeah, we've, we've got an exciting Christmas extravaganza coming up. We that- do. Um, we are prepared to fully embarrass ourselves with. I am giddy with joy at the thought. Giddy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fun times. So uh, I guess we can go ahead and get to it. Kenyatta, what's your uh, WTF moment for this episode? Okay. So, so my WTF story is actually one that I had, had drifted across a few weeks ago, and it just it just came back around in my mind earlier this week. So I decided to look it up, do a little bit more research, and it's it's just as bad as I thought it was at first glance. So, in the country of South Africa, mm-hmm. there is a little town of roughly seventeen hundred folks called Orania Orania. Mm-hmm. Not sure how you pronounce it. Um, like I said, population 1700. It was created and established in the year 1991, which okay. is just about the time that uh, apartheid was being dismantled in that country. Right. Here's the fun part about this town it's all white mm-hmm. on purpose. That doesn't and, surprise me. And it should not. And. The reason why it caught my attention and why I wanted to dig into it further was that they established this town when they did because, and I'm going off of several uh, articles and interviews I read with, like the um, some of the residents of the town and mm-hmm. the president of what's called the Oriana Movement, which was what put this whole thing in motion about establishing this town and their idea was preserving their way of life. Who's that sound like? Yeah. Hmm. So the idea was, or their thought process behind it was, is that they no longer felt safe in the cities that they were living in there in South Africa. And they felt like they needed to establish a town of their own um, to preserve their heritage and legacy. And their insistence is we're not racist. Mm-hmm. But we we vet everyone that wants to come live in this town. Um, and we're not an all-white town, but it just so happens to be because Afrikaners, which is the term for white South Africans, right. Afrikaners are white. 
So if right. you want to come live in our town and be a citizen, we're going to vet you. You have to learn how to speak Afrikaans. Afrikaans. I'm not sure I'm saying that right. The the native language. Right, right. You have to be able to speak the language. You have to uphold a certain um, moral integrity, i.e. certain Christian values. Um, for instance, unmarried couples can't live together in the town. Oh, and, that's, that's fun. Mm -hmm. And the idea apparently was that they had a preference to be a majority somewhere else than an ethnic mm -hmm. minority as, as, as whites have always actually been in South Africa. Right. They've always been roughly 20% of the population there. Right. They so, just had the guns. Right. So like I said, their idea or their claim is they want to preserve their heritage. Now what, and up until a certain point, even though the ideology is kind of hinky to me, okay, you know, someone decided this is what y'all need to do. Y'all led some people there. You bought some land, which at the time when they bought the land, it was already being occupied by residents of a, a previously failed community. And those residents were a lot of black folks and mm -hmm. mixed, mixed ethnic people. And the folks that bought the land drove them off the land with uh, dogs and whips and guns. So getting past that, you know, they finally had their little utopia and such. And what's interesting mm -hmm. is that while they claim not to be racist, the town is littered with remembrances and memorial items to the former prime minister, Heinrich Verwold, I believe mm -hmm. how you say it, who is affectionately known as the architect of apartheid. Now, when I say memorials, I'm saying a memorial park. There's a little museum in the memorial park. There's like bronze busts of him and other prominent figures that were oh, involved wow. in setting up the system of apartheid, but somehow the community is not racist. Right. So that one had me like, oh, I think, I think I almost would have been like, okay, they're just, they feel safe knowing that they won't be treated like a minority, which is ironic right. because then they understand how certain people can be treated. So they yeah. understand that. But yeah. what I would kind of like, you know, made me lose any, any kind of, considerate thought for them was the fact that they they pretty much idolized the architects of mm -hmm. apartheid so yeah all of what they're saying that goes out the window for me yeah strangely <laughs> enough um the thing that probably brought about apartheid as like people knowing about it in the u.s was lethal weapon too yes because if you recall right. the bad guy was the uh diplomat from south africa that's sort of i think what made made that a mainstream thing in the u.s which ended up with pressure created to end it mm -hmm. strange that it took an 80s action movie to do that but Very strange, i think that's but... cool because that was a uh, oh my gosh now my now i'm having to see an almost <laughs> You know, the one who is always too old for this shit. Oh, <laughs> the, uh, the actor Danny played Glover. Him. Danny Glover, Danny thank Glover. you. Yeah, that was a, a, a thing that he was uh, passionate about, and he was able to get that to be part of the movie. I like that. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool that he did that, and it did, obviously, not all of it, but it did bring about pressure from the parts of the world that helped lead to the end of that. Mm-hmm. So, 
It did. Oh boy. Strange links sometimes in this world. <laughs> Small world when you really think about it. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. But it's and always like we're I, not we're not racist. But and like I the more I read on it, the more it just reminded me of the talking points of some southerners when they mm. talk about um preserving their heritage. Right. Which is like, well, we, we're, we're not trying to exclude anybody or insult anybody. We just want to preserve our heritage. But your heritage is built on hate. So I don't know what exactly you want from the rest of us. What do you want the rest of us to understand? <laughs> I know. It's, you know, I, I, I don't. Obviously, I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't. I don't either. But like I said, that, that story just struck me funny. I thought it was like almost a joke when I saw it a while back. And yeah. I said, let me dig into this. And and by golly, there were quite a few articles about it. I'm like, these people are absolutely positively serious. This town has been in existence for almost, no, 30, well, yeah, 30 years. And they, they appear wow. to be peachy keen fine. Okay. Yeah. Something tells me they probably don't have an issue with, say, a, like a black maid or, you know, lawn person. They, well, actually, no. They actually have, like for their unskilled, lower, quote unquote, lower class. I hate to use that phrase, but right. uns- I know what you mean. <laughs> under- unskilled labor pool. They It's still all white people. Hmm. The only, wow. p- apparently the only place in that town where black people have been, uh, I won't even say made to feel comfortable, where they do feel comfortable is a gas station that sits right, right on the edge of the town. They do not, they, there's many, you know black people in the surrounding area that they've talked to about it and they say they don't feel comfortable there well i guess good on them for sticking to their racist guns i mean <laughs> the courage the courage of your convictions i mean why you know, not? <laughs> a lot a lot of times people aren't like that oh we don't like this certain race but you can mow my yard you can clean my house you can wash my car you can cook my food not at all <laughs> at least not they're, at all at least they're standing firm they are thorough <laughs> <laughs> So good for them. <laughs> That's right. I mean, <sighs> you know, all right. Just, what is uh, your uh, WTF moment slash story for the for the week? Uh, well, it's sort of it's one story, but it involves uh, the pandemic, Ted Cruz, and CPAC, and the Muppets. So Big Bird tweeted that he got his uh, vaccine and that it didn't even hurt his wing. Oh, and then. Senator Ted Cruz, who apparently has a lot of free time on his hand, tweeted back about how, I don't know, I guess Sesame Street's communist now or something like that. How they're government shills or something. I don't know. And so he got into slight. I don't think Sesame They responded with something like a one-liner thing, and then they kind of stopped. And then everybody, of course, started dogging on him. And so CPAC was having their annual meeting. And they officially banned all Muppets from even entering the CPAC thing. I'm confused if they aren't aware that Muppets are puppets. I mean, was there notice given that, you know, they were going to show up? I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, don't, I mean, I'm, I doubt Bert and Ernie were getting ready to, you know, go down there. I, I, um, I, maybe... 
Maybe the count could show up so he could teach them how to count ballots for the next election so they don't oh. run around claiming that, <laughs> <laughs> that they lost by millions of votes. <laughs> One, two, three. I mean, three I votes for Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> However, he laughs. Okay. But <laughs> okay. All right. Let me let me put my brain back together. Um, <laughs> I've just. <laughs> This is this is even worse than the the, the potato head scandal. I, <laughs> what what a what a dumb thing to be mad about. What a, what 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 kind of a hill is that to die on? Honestly, yeah. I mean, let's you, get you mad. The whole, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say you you think that COVID is fictional, so why are you mad that a fictional character got a shot for a fictional disease? Yeah, fictional. I just, um, I'm, I'm, I'm through. I'm through with them. Like they thought, like the whole church children's television workshop crew was just gonna roll up in there, yeah. in costume and with puppet sticks, and start writing. What did they think was gonna happen? Uh, maybe, like puppet- maybe they thought it was gonna be like in the '90s when uh, the WWF wrestlers went to a WCW show and had bullhorns outside and was. <laughs> yelling at the WCW people, maybe, maybe that's what they thought happened. Maybe they think wrestling's real too. The f- <laughs> the fact that they made that, they even made that a talking point, just speaks to not not just their level of. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know what I don't I don't want to say necessarily intelligence because that's too good of a word, but it not only speaks to their understanding quote-unquote of things but it also speaks to how very little they think of their own constituents that they keep trotting this stuff out in front of them and saying hey hey this is real believe it believe it believe it i just yeah. i i can't i can't i can't i know that's it, crazy I, anyway i saw that and i'm like wow that thank you for giving me my wtf moment i appreciate it the muppets oh my gosh yeah although the count idea is a good idea maybe we should we should lobby some yeah we should lobby somebody for that i think that's a great idea yeah i'll shoot uh i'll shoot kamala harris an email over the weekend and i'm sure that it'll move on from there (laughs) i I obviously can't send it to a a senator or representative from oklahoma because they probably all agree with ted cruz so (laughs) ted ted he hasn't been right for a very 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 long time that's all i'm that's all i'm gonna say about the rest of that yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> anyway, mm. it's, a, it's a short one, but it's good though. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's yeah. good. So, I guess we should get down to the meat of the episode. Mm-hmm. And Kenyatta and I sort of go back and forth. Well, not like a back and forth argument type of thing, just a hey, what do you think we should talk about type of thing. And she sent that to me and that text, and like, Five minutes later, this came through my newsfeed on Facebook for, I don't know, roughly the 10,000th time. It's generally conservative friends that sort of talk about this or repost this, generally speaking. And I'm going to go ahead and read it to you because I'm sure if you're listening, you've seen this in your feed as well. And here goes. It says, doesn't make much sense, does it? Homeless go without eating. Elderly go without needed medicines. Mentally ill go without treatment. Troops go without proper equipment. 
veterans go without benefits that were promised. Yet we donate billions to other countries before helping our own first. 1% will repost and 99% won't. Have the guts to repost this. I know I'm in the 1%. So first of all, these, this is coming from the very people that get mad about welfare, right? Oh, we spend too much money on welfare. We can't do that. We can't do that. So if homeless are going without eating, Republicans are always the one that cut that in the budget, which mm-hmm. are the people that share this. Mm-hmm. Mentally ill go without treatment. They're the ones that close down state-funded psychiatric hospitals. Yep. They're the ones that cut mills on wills for elderly. They cut the budget for that. It's generally speaking, not Democrats. The veterans going without benefit. I will say that's a both issue. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, I don't know about the go without proper equipment. Um, I, I, I don't know on that one. I, I don't think that one's necessarily accurate the way it's meant in this thing. So, so there's that. But the other side of that, or part of that equation also is, they don't want us to give money for foreign aid. And then at the same time, they get mad when the people from the countries that they don't want to send foreign aid to, then their countries are shitty and they want to come and immigrate to the U.S. to have a better life. Maybe the foreign aid would make their countries better. <laughs> they wouldn't, you know, I don't mean like their countries suck because they're not American. Mm-hmm. But if we're given foreign aid to, you know, a country whose GDP is less than the state of Missouri, you know, there are probably some issues there and they probably do need the foreign aid. Correct. And, and I've also seen that they've ruined their country and now they want to come here and ruin our country. No, 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 no. The people that are coming here are not responsible for the bad shit that's in their country. Mm-hmm. They're pawns. <laughs> unfortunately yeah yeah so I, I had to get that off i didn't mean to hog up the beginning of the, the thing it just was no no I, I i understood this is a particular topic that you felt uh some way about so i have no problem whatsoever yeah. I, I i agree with a good deal of that so yes yeah it's just of course then as we were both doing some research on it i realized that as far as Central and South America go, there's another element that ties into that that isn't uh, uh, sort of money-related. Mm-hmm. But I think, I'll, if I remember, I should. Don't let me forget. <laughs> but I know that you did some uh, research in terms of like statistics and numbers of foreign aid and, and uh, that type of stuff. So I'm, I'm ready and willing and able to uh, hear, your, hear your stats and what you got. Okay, so seeing as how I didn't have a whole a whole lot of background on uh, U.S. foreign aid, this some of this was kind of surprising to me. Um, and just a little background: the current, well, not the current policy of foreign aid, but foreign aid as a policy started in 1948, mm-hmm. and that helped to support reconstruction of Europe after World War II. Right. So um, I want to say the current foreign aid policy that we have started, you know, I want to quote me, I think sometime in the 60s. And it's been pretty much the same since then. Um, What I found out was just on average, 
you know, a little, I guess, informal survey of mm-hmm. our, our John and Jane Q publics and in asking them, well, how much money do you think the U.S. government spends on foreign aid per year? Or what percentage of the federal budget do you think goes? And from the stuff I looked at, the consensus was, was roughly about 25% of the um, annual budget of the U.S. government. Not so. Not so at all. Foreign aid actually makes up less than 1% of the annual federal budget. Yeah. That was, that was shocking to me. I was like, huh. And then, of course, when you consider what the average federal annual budget is, there's that. But it was it's yeah. considerably less than most people think. <clears throat> well, I was doing some research, too, and it mm-hmm. pointed out that of countries that give foreign aid, mm-hmm. no other country gives more than the U.S. However, True. however, due to our GDP, mm-hmm. we actually do not give the largest percentage based on GDP. We're actually like ninth mm-hmm. it's because roughly... our GDP and everything is so high that that mm-hmm. less than 1% while bigger than everybody else's mm-hmm. is in terms of the u.s is not actually that large compared to our gdp mm-hmm. from this information i got of our annual gdp it's less than one percent roughly one roughly 0.18 percent of the u.s annual gdp mm-hmm. is what yeah. this country can pay, contributes but just like you said the dollar amount is considerably more or is the most out of all participating countries that provide foreign aid. Right. And I don't know when you were doing your research, I discovered there's actually two types of foreign aid. I yeah, military yes. and financial. Actually, I saw that and then I saw another source that broke it down into three. And then another source I saw that grouped two of them into one group and then had mm-hmm. the military aid on its own so yes that i did not know though none of that yeah because there's sort of like a like medical foreign aid and mm-hmm. then there's like i, I don't know if, if it'd be like considered civil or whatever but it helps with fortifying you know government agencies or mm-hmm. road building or infrastructure and stuff like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and sometimes those two are lumped together and then like yes. you said they're sometimes they're separated yeah those from what I'd read, those, what you're talking about, um, like infrastructure development, um, economic, social, medical mm-hmm. assistance, those kinds, of, and those kinds of things fall under economic aid, as well as humanitarian aid for natural mm-hmm. and man-made disasters. Right, right, yeah. So all that falls under economic. And then like, like we were both saying, then the other portion of that is military aid. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people, too, don't, I don't know if they necessarily realize this, but Central and South America, they're not even in the top 10 of uh, the countries in those areas of the world. They're not even in the top 10 of foreign aid. I think mm. Colombia is the first one that's in our hemisphere. And I want to say they're like 13th or 14th. Mm. As far as contributing or, or what, receiving? What they receive. Yeah, what they right, receive. Right, okay. And huh. um, like in, I know in uh, for Africa, a lot of it is uh, medical. Mm-hmm. Um, Say what you will about George W. Bush. He was very passionate about making sure that people in Africa received aid med- AIDS medication and HIV mm-hmm. medication. Mm-hmm. And he like it was like six or seven times the amount that was spent before, like when he first got into office to when he left uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the medication sent. And I'm, I'm not being an apologetic for 
George W. Bush, but that is a bright spot <laughs> uh, to that because who, who knows how many people that is. Well, it just it's it's funny you mentioned that exact thing because in the information I was able to pull between looks like the stats they've got here between 2000 and 2017, smallpox was eliminated. Mm-hmm. Polio has been eliminated in all but two countries. Yep. Malaria deaths cut in half. Yeah. In that 17-year time span, not to mention just like you were saying, 17 million people saved with that were in, in, inflicted with HIV and AIDS. Yeah. yeah. So, so there is a point to all of this aid. It's not just, I mean, obviously we'll get into it, I think sometime later in the conversation, but obviously there is something to help, to helping people just for the sake of helping people. Yeah. So and <clears throat> it, it has, it has a worldwide benefit, whether mm-hmm. you see it or not. Yes. First of all, you know, the better a country is economically, the less likely there is to be like major wars or something like, because if people kind of get better and or not better, but you know what I mean? The country and everything. And it's like, Hey, we're doing pretty good here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that tends to, you know, tends to help. And then you don't have people that are refugees going to necessarily other countries. And because a lot of, especially in Africa, People are refugees and they'll go to another country. Well, the country that they're going to to be a refugee in probably economically can't handle the number of refugees that go there. Mm-hmm. Um, not, I mean, that's that's just the fact. I'm not saying it to be like a dick or whatever, but. No, no. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, and you're right. That's that's the whole, that's one, I guess, I hope I'm using the word right. That's one tent pole of. Yeah why this policy is important is that if you keep a country economically and politically stable, their citizens feel more comfortable and more safe staying there. You give that country opportunities and the citizens opportunities for employment and health and education and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Then yes, they find a reason to stay. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, on our, our hemisphere over here, you know, currently people are mad because there are so many Haitians that are coming mm-hmm. and they really took the, the long route to get here because it would have been hella easier to just get on boats and go to Florida because Haiti's much closer to Florida than it is the Texas border with Mexico. But they had to go south of Mexico and march up. And I, I imagine it was probably because that route that they were used to taking I mean, they they probably couldn't do it anymore like they they used to. So well, yeah, no, you're yeah, you're right. And I will say, after they had that earthquake, uh, mm-hmm. that big earthquake, what was it, two thousand eight ish? I believe so. Um, oh my goodness, they America I mean, itself raised something like two, maybe three hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. and that wasn't. That was just like people donating to fix the country. Mm-hmm. Haiti's not that big. No. In terms of size. It, it? It's not that big. And I, I've always wondered, what happened to that money? <laughs> you could have well, a, lo- a lot with that amount of money. And it, I don't necessarily know if it happened. I do think that maybe there was some corruption going on with, with what went on there. 
I think so. And keep in mind, too, but even before that earthquake, and it looks like that that earthquake was actually 2010. Oh, okay. Keep in mind that Haiti was already poverty-stricken before the earthquake. So, like you said, for a country that was maybe a little bit more stable and, and had gone through hands that were more directly giving it to the people that needed it, that money probably would have done something significant, but I agree. There was probably a lot of siphoning between yeah. how, when it was contributed, you know, from our organizations and contributed to, was it contributed to the government? Was it contributed to yeah. private citizens? Was it contributed to an NGO? You know, how did that all work out? And you're right. I, I think a lot of that just went up in smoke, administrative fees, yeah. quote unquote. And that's, yeah. that's a shame. It really is. And that, that's that's a whole nother conversation about yeah i just feel like they could have <laughs> you know rented a bunch of bulldozers went and bulldozed and started building everything back new <laughs> would it have that- been the whole country no obviously not but it, I, i've just never understood why it didn't seem like there was the things got better because of all of the money donated yeah i, I think there was a whole lot more to yeah, building but- that country back up and it's one thing yeah. to have an infusion of money to build back when you have a, a pretty good economic and political foundation, but yeah. that's not what they had. Yeah. Haiti's never been uh, the only thing Haiti's been top 10 in, in terms of the world is being at the bottom of everything. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> you know? and that's a shame when you think about the history of that country yeah. and the citizens there and how they like, they were literally paying off another government up until fairly recently in history like how do you you know how do you yeah how do you get ahead how do you shake that yeah i just i i can't imagine i I can't even imagine and then just to just to kind of double back um on what you were saying it reminded me of the after effects of katrina here Mm -hmm. and how when I have family in Mississippi and I remember going to visit them. Mm, it was some years ago. It was after Katrina, but it had mm-hmm. been, I think at least five or six years, I think. And we had taken a trip all the way down to the coast to um, Biloxi because mm-hmm. there's, there's the air force base down there. Yeah. And there were areas where you could, where you could see houses that had been wiped out, had never been rebuilt. It was just like literally boards, like shacks, like the ruins mm-hmm. of houses. And this is this country. Yeah. So when you yeah. when you think about stuff like that, you realize there are areas in this country that never quite recover from disasters like they should have. And that's a whole nother conversation. When you think about the fact that those areas weren't restored yeah. in full, then it's not too hard to understand why a country like Haiti hadn't been or wasn't able to be successful to yeah. a certain degree yeah no you're right and i, I know i kind of went oh no off topic no. but no that's that's fine and it it does make a lot of sense I, I guess i've always just felt that whatever the process was the people of haiti mm-hmm. were not after the money was donated thinking about the people of haiti i just never felt was like a priority <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean because yeah, i think I th- if the people of haiti would have been the priority Mm-hmm. there would have been a more noticeable change, even if it was only like a 15% change, that still would have been an improvement. If mm-hmm. that sort of makes sense. No, it, it does. It does. 
and like I said, it just it, it the parallel just kind of struck me funny. Yeah. When you when you and in the in the top it all off, you know, we're talking about um, when Katrina hit. We're talking about you know news outlets and news stories, you know, because of course it was twenty four hour coverage. Yeah. But you actually had news outlets referring to the citizens of an American state as refugees. Mm-hmm. That blew my wig back. I was like, "What? <laughs> refuge? Okay. <laughs> In this country, they're refugees. Yeah. You're going from one state to another, and they're refugees. Y'all have done it now. I just, <laughs> I, I yeah. was done. I was yeah. done. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I digress. <laughs> sort of another aspect of that where it ties in is, you know, in the last ten years, so much has been made about people from Central America coming Mm -hmm. here and so a lot of sort of right-wing pundits are like well why can't mexico stop them at their southern border before they come up here before they get to you know the the texas border and what it costa rica and and i think it's el salvador i may have that wrong the murder rate i think it the thing i was reading in my research is something like eight times the next closest (laughs) in costa rica and el salvador if, if I had the countries correct in Central America. And that's mm-hmm. why people are leaving to come here because it's, mm-hmm. it's not safe. No. But neither one of them receive, you know, just a ton of foreign aid from us. And in our country, when people live in a neighborhood, when the crime rate starts to go up, the wealthy people move out, right? The people that can afford it. Well, I'm moving to this other neighborhood where the crime rate is lower. Mm-hmm. They're just doing what everybody does for your family. You're trying to get away from a dangerous situation and you want to better yourself. And it can't be easy to travel, you know, what, a thousand miles or more walking. I know there's the people that they're putting them on buses. They couldn't have. (sighs) I get that. But, you know, you're mad that we're given foreign aid, but then you want to build a wall and not let them come into America. Mm hmm. It's like you don't want either, which is true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But what always, what always kills me every time I hear that argument about they need to be stopped. They're going to come in here and infiltrate and take all the jobs and, and healthcare and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and of course, these are people that know nothing about how this works, but Wasn't that the notion under which this country itself was quote unquote founded? The better well, life? That are yeah, that are the better life for sure. Yeah. But the argument of they're going to take our jobs has literally been around for a hundred and fifty years. Yeah. That's why in the in the eighteen fifties when we were building the railroads and Chinese people were brought in to do that. Mm-hmm. There was the movement, well, they got, we got to send them back. We can't have Chinese here. They're going to take our jobs. And then it was uh, Italians. Mm-hmm. And this is what people nowadays don't seem to realize. In the 1880s and 90s, when Italian immigrants were coming over here, they were not considered white. Mm-hmm. They were not considered white. And everyone was mad that they're going to come and take our jobs. And when the Irish were coming over <laughs> at the same time, they were also, strangely enough, oddly discriminated against, and they're going to take our job and sort of not considered white. 
<laughs> That's weird when you think about Irish people. I mean, I, I get no, I get exactly what you're saying. You're right. There's been those eras and times where, even though European, the fact that they were from a different part of Europe with a completely different ethnic background, different culture, was like, well, you're not our kind of white. Well, what yeah. exactly is that? What? What's the I differentiation? Know. What is? There, there's uh, multiple kinds of white. In different <laughs> regions of Europe. True. How, how it is? There's different people. But, are just, we but I, different. I don't. I don't think. I don't think humans would be human to an extent if there wasn't somebody to, to punch down on. Yeah. That's, that's just interwoven in this culture, unfortunately. Yeah, and the first uh, <laughs> at that same time in the 1920s is when sort of people from Mexico were coming to work on farms and everything. And there was the whole, they're coming to steal our jobs thing. So literally people from Mexico and central and South America, they've been coming to steal our jobs is, is a hundred year old thing now. And I'm fairly certain we still have jobs. Also the fact that most of the uh, recipients of welfare and government assistance happen to be white. So yeah. Where are all these jobs? Why weren't you getting these jobs when these jobs were there? Oh, never mind. Never mind. I'm, I'm going off kilter again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, but at the same time, we have to build a wall. We have to keep people from coming here. Yeah. Well, you are aware. And once again, I, this is just the facts. The majority of the people that work in farms for produce, that pick produce, that don't have like machinery that can do it, tend to be people from Mexico or Central America. And they don't want people here to do that, but then they bitch when the price of strawberries are $6 a quart. Hmm, go figure. And let's, and let's just be clear about it. We, we, we tend to call those kinds of jobs, you know, labor-intensive or yeah. menial. And, but tell me the average, uh, I don't even know what I mean when I say average, but tell me the white-collar guy that could come from behind his desk and go spend a summer on a farm. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that's skilled labor in a, in a different arena. Stop playing. Not everybody can do that. That's backbreaking stuff. Yeah. So let, yeah. let's not, let's not play and act like those jobs that, you know, these folks are coming in and taking are jobs that the quote unquote average American would want to have. Yeah. Even if they had no opportunities for nothing else, they would still balk at the idea. The hypocrisy is mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking it of is. strawberry farms, I have a cousin that's a strawberry farmer. Ew. Yeah. And going off topic here, <laughs> he, he is actually um, paralyzed. Mm. Close to being a quadriplegic. Quadriplegic. Mm. It, it's borderline, and all of his farm equipment has lifts, so he can get up in it and and do stuff. So, if you have a dream to be a farmer, you can be a farmer. Even technology if is amazing. It really yeah. is. Yeah, but anyway, I getting back on topic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if it's just irritating because one, you're acting the people that sort of post that meme that I did at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You're acting like you don't want to give foreign aid for this reason. But you always, these are always the people that want to cut the various programs mm -hmm. that 
prevent those things from happening. Because the truth of the matter is in the U.S., we have enough money that we could do foreign aid and all of those things that were listed. Correct. We can do all of that. And Well, the thing of it is, all those things that are listed are being addressed. Yeah. That's the thing. The, main, the meme makes it sound like none of those things are being addressed or being addressed at, the very, at, at, at very basic levels. And that's, right. that's not accurate. It's yeah. just not. And it almost sounds like a straw man argument to me to begin with, because mm-hmm. that's your argument. That's your whole argument against providing foreign aid is all these things. So all these things have been happening mm-hmm. since this country was in, in, set, in you know, created, yeah. unfortunately. All these things have existed. And as yeah. the population grows, those things grow too, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But it's not as though there aren't organizations, governmental and otherwise, that aren't out there trying to address these things. They are. Yeah. They are. And unfortunately, and, there's a lot of things that get in the way, a lot of red tape, a lot of this, a lot of that. And it sometimes it just doesn't go as far as it could or as it should. Mm-hmm. But they are being addressed. That's, that's and, the thing about it. Yeah. And the, another argument that's made is, well, that kind of stuff should be done through charity. <laughs> well, you know what? Most charitable organizations do not bring in enough to do the things that their goal is, right? And even if they did bring enough, <clears throat> unfortunately, a lot of them in recent years have been shown to not be giving right, or not giving that those funds directly to the people in need. There's yeah. a lot of it that gets absorbed right back in the organization by way of paying executives. And they have, they have high overhead. <laughs> yes. Administration <laughs> fees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, so. I would like to see some sort of law passed that if you are a charity that no more than 10% of the money that you bring in can go for administration mm-hmm. overhead costs. I might even give you 15%, but that's, that's my hard line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you're absolutely there. right. You're, you're absolutely right. There has to be, there has to be a limit on some of that. Otherwise you're just, you're just bordering on, on fraud. Basically. Yeah. I, I can't put any planner than that. If you're not yeah. helping you, you purport to help, then, then stop saying that that's what this is. I just, mm. The stuff gets so corrupted. Ugh. Anywho. Yeah. But yeah. So I'm going to go on the thing that I was talking about earlier. I remember mm-hmm. that ties into the whole foreign aid and everything. And especially for um, our hemisphere, North, Central, South America. Mm-hmm. And it, I have to actually go back to President Monroe because he started the Monroe Doctrine, which basically stated to European countries, keep your ass out of this hemisphere. Now, I know that there were still... Other than, you know, what you have here, don't be coming in and trying to recolonize all of this or we're going to stop you, which probably was BS at the time. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, it sounded good. Yeah. So when we were after World War II, the big thing was uh, stopping the spread of communism. And mm-hmm. this isn't a pro or a con against communism. I'm not, I don't think communism is good. I saw what they did to America in Red Dawn. <laughs> I watched I watched J. Edgar. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> but um so a lot of money and military stuff, you know, training and exercising and policing of the world was spent uh, to stop the spread of communism. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was started was called the College of the Americas. And it was initially in Panama and it was there until I believe nineteen it was it was under Bill Clinton when it came to uh, uh, Georgia. And the idea was that we would train 
military members from the various countries in Central and South America. And part of it was this this school in Panama was designed as like a mini American utopia because the thought was if they saw, man, America kicks ass. And then when they go back to their country and it doesn't have that, they would work harder to make it more like what they saw at the School of the Americas. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it trained them in, hey, this is how you're a good officer in the military. This is how you train troops and how you do this and how you strategize and yada, yada, yada. And this went on from, I think it was the 60s until, like I said, under Bill Clinton. And then there were some things that were found out about it. Uh, For example, there was a large amount of prostitution going on. Mm. So (laughs) my point of this is the U.S. was training all of these military people. And from the onset of that school until the 1980s of the... I think it was 22 dictators in Central and South America. 17 of them were trained at the College of the Americas. We trained them. And then they went on to become dictators. Yeah. And then sometimes the guy would be the dictator. And then we're like, oh, man, that dude's awful. So then we would get with some of the other people that were still going to that school and be like, hey, you know what? If you do a coup, we'll support you. So sometimes it was back to back dictators Mm -hmm. that we trained. Doesn't surprise me in the least. And how does that tie into foreign aid? Dictators aren't exactly known for doing what's best for their country. They tend mm-hmm. to do what's best for them, and mm-hmm. they tend to oh, be not very nice to their population. Correct, I believe is the uh, the term I'm looking for <laughs> to be mm-hmm. nice mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it. Yes. and so a lot of these countries, forty, fifty years later are still trying to improve or get better from their time of having dictators. Because it's not like you kick a dictator out and then two years later, you have the economy of Texas. That's a generational thing to fix. Right. And so at the same time, everyone's bitching about giving foreign aid. It's like, well, you know what? The foreign aid we're given is a lot better than the aid we gave them in the past when we were supporting dictators coming into their country. I don't... I have a feeling most people are not aware that all of those dictators that we had to get out of their positions of power in the 80s and early 90s in Central and South America were frequently in that position because we put them there. It, it doesn't surprise me at all. And I'm not familiar with you know the program, but the, the idea doesn't surprise me at all, especially when, and this is kind of like parallel to this, different era, but parallel. When I read somewhere, and I, I, I believe this, that Adolf Hitler when he was coming up and establishing himself as a prominent figure, apparently a lot of his ideologies and methods, especially like his speaking style and such, he supposedly adopted from a lot of Southern politicians. Well, the, there was an American um, advertisement guy from back in the 20s. I believe his name was Edward Bernays. And he actually invented the term propaganda. Mm-hmm. And... He is who the Nazis modeled their propaganda off of was Mm -hmm. like the principles of this guy. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the influence that America has, sometimes it's not all peaches and cream. (laughs) No, no, it's at all. It's not. And so just real quick, the school of the Americas. So Clinton ended the school of Americas, but he didn't really end it. They just moved it to, uh, Georgian gave it a new name 
and it became known as the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation. Oh, well, that's much more proper. It's much more proper. (laughs) Well, I mean. Oh, boy. Yeah, so it's just like all of these problems that people are mad that are causing people to want to come here about, we sort of cause. So Mm -hmm. maybe we should let the grandchildren in and the people that we stuck in countries with dictators in to improve their lives. Now, on the flip side of that, while we're talking about less than palatable governments, if we can put it that way, when we talk about foreign aid, apparently out of the monies that the U.S. donates to various countries, less than 3% of those funds goes directly to the country's government. They tend to funnel it through what they call NGOs, mm-hmm. non-governmental organizations, or multilateral organizations. In other words, organizations that work with multiple countries mm-hmm. and they funnel funds and assistance through those kind of organizations as opposed to the governments for that reason, for those countries mm-hmm. that have dictators or have you know, mm-hmm. brutal regimes and things like that to avoid the government corruption there mm-hmm. from pretty much stealing the money from the people. Yeah. So, yeah, I know there's... Once again, I don't necessarily know what the solution is. Should there, yeah. maybe we need another, this is going to go over well with a lot of people. Maybe mm-hmm. we need some other uh, government department or something, or maybe it's a branch of the uh, secretary of state with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the state department. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe they should have an office where, Basically, you have, and maybe this already exists, but there's like a region and the money for is designated. And this is the person that vets, like, that's the whole point of this is the money goes to them. They vet the people and then they send it out for foreign aid. Maybe that would help with some of the corruption. And maybe that already exists. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't necessarily research beyond sort of what you just said, but. Well, I mean, I mean that's, a, that's a good idea in theory, but when you think about how many governmental agencies and right. there are already and just it blows the mind how many you know i know branches and departments and committees and this and that and the third already exist it's just the idea is a good one but at the same time it's just like how much more red tape do we <laughs> right. need to get people to wade through it's just yeah no i i didn't say it was a, a brilliant thing. no 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 it's a good idea i see what you're saying but like I said, just thinking about, and this is unrelated, but just I had just I read an article some months ago about the absolute crap storm of um, Trump's administration's handling of the COVID pandemic here, mm-hmm. and the number of, I mean, the article was maybe six eight pages long. The number of governmental agencies and committees and things named in that article alone. I was like, I've never heard of any of these, right? And that's and that's just dealing with. A pandemic with a, a public health crisis, mm-hmm. and it's. And I'm like, if if we're talking about that many governmental agencies alone for just something like that, I can't imagine the width and breadth of agencies and yeah. hierarchies and things that already exist with trying to dispense foreign aid. And like I said, what you're saying is an absolutely good idea. It really is. But um, it just to me, it's just let's trim the fat. <laughs> Off of what we already got. And maybe that'll make it string better. And then you can't, there's always going to be corruption here and there at some place, you Mm -hmm. know, 
in yeah. along the line, whether it's on our end or some throughway or at the end of the other countries, there's always right. going to be somebody siphoning something off. So sadly, that um, is true. On a on a good but related note, mm-hmm. um, I have a friend that does work for the State Department, and as part of his job, he would go to various countries to work at the consulates, and they were in. I don't remember the country, but you remember the shoes, Tom's. And the thing was for every pair of shoes you buy, we give a pair of shoes to a less fortunate person in a less fortunate country. Yes. So they were in a less fortunate country and they were there when Tom's came and actually delivered shoes. So if you ever wondered if Tom's really did that, they really did. That is good to know because my child was an absolute fanatic for Tom's for a rough year and a half two-year period well she helped some people that's good to know and be happy knowing that your money legitimately did what they said it was going to do i mean that is that is honestly and i don't i'm not even trying to be facetious that is really a good thing to hear yeah when you think about all the uh, bull hockey (laughs) that we hear about from social charitable organizations and corporations and such to actually hear that someone has stated a purpose and has followed through on it. That's, that's actually heartwarming. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you think that they're just doing that because it sounds good. Do they really, mm-hmm. but they really did. So that is good to hear. Yeah. Hmm. I was happy to hear that. Me too. I'll have to relay that news. Yeah. That, that, that is good to hear. She should go buy some more Tom's. She's outgrown that face. <laughs> <laughs> I I understand. My yeah. I've I've spent a fair amount of money on Tom's as well. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, really, it was more with my eldest daughter. My youngest daughter was. There's a nine year difference between them, so Tom's were sort of not the thing when she was sort of the age where she would have wanted to have worn them. Yeah. But anyway, well, once again, we've talked for an hour. Hmm. Seems to be habit forming with us. I I don't know what's got to happen to. I don't know what we can do to trim the fat. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is just the way it's meant to be. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> Boo! Let me let me pop this in right quick. Okay. As we wrap up, I found a little interesting stat, and I want to say this was, um, I guess for the year I think twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. That. Americans spend more on sporting events and jewelry than the United States government spends on foreign aid. That does not surprise me. So, for per person, Americans spend $102.74 on Halloween celebrations, $169.58 on sporting events, $236.20 on jewelry versus the United States government's paltry $104.78 per person spent in foreign aid. <laughs> that is not surprising and at the same time sad. It is. I, I laughed when I read it. I was like, really? So people really have no idea what's happening. We can yeah. we can we can make all the assumptions we want to about the government is and isn't doing, and sometimes we see where it fails, but sometimes we're just we're just wrong about it. We're just wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's where Google is your friend. That's not much from the U.S. Really think about it. Mm-hmm. And I will say though, this last year, the hundred and four dollars on Halloween was about one bag of candy. Yeah. 
that is accurate. That is, <laughs> but, and that was the bite size. That's not even the full yeah, size bar. <laughs> right. That's my goal in life is to be wealthy enough that I can hand out full size candy bars. I mean, you have reached another tax bracket when right. you can do that and feel good about it. Well, actually, <laughs> when we lived in the, uh, the small country town of Piedmont, we only had eight trick-or-treaters every year. And it was actually cheaper to go and buy eight full-size candy bars than to get a bag of, you know, the other stuff. Because that was like $15 or whatever. I could mm -hmm. just go and get $8 on candy bars. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't have the leftover candy to eat. <laughs> Talk about economics right there. I think we could do more, people. Don't, don't be mad when we're helping other countries. Because helping other countries helps. Helps us. Helps us. And it helps everybody. It does. It does. It, and if, I mean, like I said, it's a lot of this from what I'm, I'm understanding is helping for helping sake, but it mm -hmm. also benefits us Yeah. In, in that, you know, economically we can stabilize another country's economy. It opens up the opportunity for more trade. Mm -hmm. There's always, yeah. there's always going to be quote unquote selfish reasons for why the government does what it does in terms of other countries. But first and foremost, there is proof that it works. So there's yeah. a reason. And at the very least, think of all the great restaurants that we get from that. <laughs> I mean, it sounds funny, but oh. there's a lot of great food that we experience because of immigrants. There's a lot of great culture. And not to mention the culture. I mean, all together, you know, it's, you know, shying away from cultural appropriation, another conversation, but just experiencing the culture, just getting to stand there on the outside and observe it. To me, yeah. that that's just a wonder. So, you know, let's not not the idea of not having more people come to this country. Let's just do it in a way that makes sense for everybody. Yeah, but, I, I agree. Mm. I agree. <sighs> Somebody will get it right one day if it's not us. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would just listen to us. Just a one. little while. Just a little while. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Well, we've solved all the world's problems, so we're going to be ending the podcast permanently. No. <laughs> <sighs> Job done. Boop. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm going to apologize. Uh, Higgins, the puppy, is barking uncontrollably at something. I have no idea what it is. It could be anything because everything scares him. He just wants his thoughts to be shared. That's all. Well, he'll go to the back door. And it's, you know, French doors and it's glass. And he sees his reflection. And mm. so he barks at the dog that's outside. Aww. And it's like, Higgins, <laughs> that's you. You're barking at yourself. That is precious. I do love. <laughs> I, you're right. The fur babies are entertaining. Like my girl cat likes to chase her own tail. I don't know. She stares yeah. at it like it's a foreign part of something else. And then goes for it. I'm like, okay, yeah. well. <laughs> But you know, we're we're better off having having pets. We are. Yeah. Now, if so my goal you, of domesticated sloths could happen. Oh my gosh! Did you really want that though? <laughs> sloths are kind of cool. They're they're an interesting little they're interesting little animals. I'll give them that. Yeah, they really are. And they if really you are. listen to my other podcast today, you can find out how sloths help prove the age of the earth yes i will definitely be getting into that one <laughs> shortly because I, I find them to be interesting little weird little interesting creatures they are so they definitely are 
Any well, final thoughts on this <sighs> this evening? No, I think I think we covered it. I think it was pretty good conversation and definitely interesting. I learned quite a bit about foreign aid that I would not have known had we not decided to talk about this topic. So I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did too. I like learning new things. This the stuff I found was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we're our next episode after this one goes live will be our Christmas extravaganza. I don't know what that means other than we're going to tell embarrassing stories about our sixth grade year in elementary. Mm-hmm. And then others, other stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, I guess I'm tell everybody bye. Have a good week. Have a Merry Christmas since it's that time of the year. Have a happy Hanukkah. Although I guess Hanukkah ended. It did, but um, happy holidays. We'll just cover it all. How about that? Yeah, just, you know, whatever you celebrate this time of year, I hope it's happy and nice and everything goes well for you and you get to see family that you haven't got to see in a while. Yeah, definitely that. Eat all you want to. Don't put yourself in a diabetic coma. Definitely that, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got. Anything else for you, Kenyatta? No, I am... Fresh out of thoughts. Imagine that. But um, in the same vein, just want to wish everybody, of course, you know, you hear from us again, mm-hmm. mm, probably before the holidays, but happy holidays, happy, safe holidays. And just to echo Jack's sentiments, be safe, be happy, protect your peace. Mm-hmm. And let's cross our fingers and hope we go into a 2022 that's mm, more enlightened, dare more I say. More enlightened, <laughs> less less pandemic-y yeah that part <laughs> you know let's that part. let's hope there's not a covid 22 mm. anyway yeah but, but not trying to end on a down note um <sighs> for everybody listening thank you yes um if you're here as i was rightly correct at the beginning for our third podcast yes. we thank you we <laughs> hope you continue listening any feedback thoughts suggestions please let us know <laughs> yep so bye everyone bye Kenyatta and I believe that if we're going to save the world, that we both need to have something near and dear to our heart, charity-wise, for people to contribute to if they feel so inclined. And if you would like to help us save the world, Kenyatta's charity is the Black Women's Health Imperative. They help provide access to medical treatment and care, and they are at www.bwhi.org. And Jack's charity is the Service Dog Project. They provide service dogs that are Great Danes to people that have mobility issues. So anyway, thank you. We appreciate it. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a production of Hyperfocused Podcast.